this tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 190 with Coach Mountain McKillibray. He is the head women's basketball coach at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mountain McKillibray, a Philadelphia native who helped lead Quinnipiac to seven straight 20-win seasons and a trip to the Sweet 16 in 2017, was appointed the ninth head coach in LaSalle University women's basketball history in April of 2018. He begins his third year at the helm of the program in 2020-21. During the 2019-20 campaign, McKillivray's Explorers showed vast improvements from year one to two of his tenure, including the program's best start since 2006 at 6-1. The Blue and Gold more than doubled both its overall 13 and Atlantic 10 seven-win totals in year two. The victory over the Penn State Nittany Lions was LaSalle's first over a Power 5 program since November 2015 and first over a Big Ten school since taking down Northwestern in December of 1998. The Explorers also swept Big 5 and A-10 rival St. Joseph's for the first time ever. A gritty win over the Hawks inside Hagen Arena was the first since 1998. Ray spent the previous nine seasons at Guinnipiac including the last three as the associate head coach. The Bobcats had tremendous success during McKellivray's tenure, qualifying for the NCAA tournament in four of his last five seasons, including three wins in NCAA play over the final two. Gwinnipiac went undefeated in MAC in 2017-18 for the third time in six years, winning the conference regular season title for the fifth time in six seasons. After earning the league's automatic bid in the NCAA tournament with a victory over Marist in the MAC title game, the Bobcats earned a number nine seed and defeated Miami, Florida in the opening round. In 2016-17, McElroy helped Quinnipiac to a pair of upset wins at NC tournament action, defeating Marquette and Miami, Florida en route to the Sweet 16. 
The Bobcats won four conference championships and averaged 26 wins over that seven-year span. And head coach Tricia Fabry won MAC Coach of the Year four times with contributions of McKellifray. <clears throat> McKellifray has 13 years of experience coaching at the high school at AAU levels, helping turn Archbishop Carroll High School in Radnor, Pennsylvania into one of the most successful prep programs in the country. He also guided the Philadelphia AAU Lady Running Rebels from 2000 to 2002 and Delaware Valley Commons AAU team in 2006. A 1996 graduate of Temple with a degree in journalism, McKelvray and his wife, Grace, have eight children, Tiara, Mary, Bridget, Sean, Catherine, Joseph, Teresa, and Emily. Coaches, let's welcome the head women's basketball coach, LaSalle University, Coach Mountain McKelvray. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing great, Mountain. How are you, my friend? Fantastic. Fantastic. Man, <laughs> thank you for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, our podcast is usually set up for high school coaches and so forth around the country. We're excited to get a uh, big-time Division One coach on. So, Mountain, thank you for coming on. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I spend uh... – um, 15 years coaching high school in AAU before I uh, got into the college ranks. So um, looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, hey, talk a little bit about um, kind of how you got into, and I, I read your story, Coach, and I love how I love how your youth and what you did as a young kid kind of led you into the coaching profession. Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself kind of growing up in the Philadelphia area. Yeah, I, um, you know, I was a uh, three-sport player in, you know, elementary school, Our Lady of Lords in Overbrook, and uh, got to high school and uh, didn't make the high school basketball team. And so the, uh, the JV girls coach was also the athletic director at my grade school. And so he sees me at the corner of uh, 7-Eleven, says, hey, Mountain, you know, how's basketball going? I didn't make the team. And he says, uh, um, do you want to help out with, with the, the JV girls basketball team. And I was like, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, so he, you know, we get to talking and my cousin was the best player on the team. She was also on varsity and she was a freshman too. 
and I didn't really know her very well and hadn't even run into her since we'd been in high school together for what, two months now. So I was like, what the heck? I'll do it. Get to meet my cousin. See how it goes. Well, it just so happened. They were one of the best programs in the country. Archbishop Carroll, they were ranked in the top 25 that year with uh, Lynn Doherty went on to Penn state and they had five division one starters on the team. And, um, well, I just kind of fell in love with the game and like learning the game and understanding. And I realized that in, in practices every day that I kind of pick some things up, um, maybe that I wasn't even taught before, but I just would watch kids shoot the ball and notice when they were missing, notice when they were making what they were doing different. And, uh, I guess coaching kind of came natural. And from there, I, um, became a part of that staff, uh, coached my own grade school, went back there and coached teams, coached in camps all over the place, uh, worked Kathy Rush, Future Stars Basketball Camps, which is a really uh, – was a girls' basketball empire back in the day. And uh, you kind of learned the game. And I was really fortunate to just have gone to a high school that had one of the best girls' basketball programs in the country. Yeah, it's, your story is so interesting because I think us high school coaches can relate. Um I don't, you know, people sometimes think like, oh, you know, all oh, a great player in high school, college, and the pros can become a great coach. It's not necessarily those; those are the ingredients to become a successful coach. It's about do you love the game? Do you have a passion? And are you a master teacher? Don't you think being a master teacher is the key to your success? Um, I, I, I would think so. I think. Um... You know, and I know a lot of people in, in education might disagree with this statement, but I think that like coaching, I think teaching is something that you can develop and grow, but I think it's something that comes natural. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. You have to be a communicator and, and um, you have to be able to inspire. And I think, to, you know, that's really a, a hard talent to learn. I think a lot for a lot of people that is something they're born with now learning the ins and out of a given subject, the ins and out of a given, uh, you know, teach a different sport if you're coaching. Well, that's, you know, that's obviously learned. But the ability to communicate ideas thoroughly and well, I think, is uh, something that, you know, I was just blessed to be uh, born with. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because a lot of people, I, I, I know you can improve your uh, teaching skills, but I do think certain people, certain coaches have a knack. Do you believe that's true? It's it's more of an art and also a science of teaching and coaching. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I just you know some of the great coaches I got a chance to grow up you know watching and and you know I used to go to John Cheney's practice when I was in college and you know sure it it really didn't matter what subject he was talking on like he knew how to command a room and you just paid attention you know and he was a he was a a teacher himself in high school and in college like he was a born teacher. Um, and obviously he worked at his craft. He knew his game inside and out, but I still think that, you know, he grew up playing with a lot of great players um, and they didn't go on to be coaches. I think the coaching was in him um, both as a desire and as a blessing. Absolutely. And coach, you know, you know, you know, I got to ask you about your name because I have so many coaches calling me saying, Hey man, you know, he has the most interesting name. And I know you've heard this before, but what I've studied about you is very interesting on how your parents named you Mountain. Uh, it just seems that it, they, they wanted to be different. They wanted you to be unique. Have you carried that that without your life saying, hey, man, I got to be different than everybody else? Did that help? Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because um, I never really associated it with 
um, the, my naming and my parents and that story. But as I actually, I grew up never wanting to do what everybody else was doing. And I yeah. was never different for different, you know, sake. But like, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller Drop, right? And everybody loved it. And I just didn't <laughs> like it. And I didn't like it, you know, because everybody else was doing it. But, you know, I give me two years later and, and you know, I could I could uh, I could say every lyric to every song on that album now. But at the time when it was hot, I was like, no, nah, it's, it's too much. <laughs> so I always kind of did uh, go the opposite way of the crowd. Um, and I never really associated with, you know, my parents decision to name me Mountain. But maybe there was some influence there. I, I, I would think so. Yeah, that's so interesting, though, how you how um you know, you kind of, that's kind of the life you're leading. And I want to talk about your coaching philosophy, but you had quite a few mentors along the way. I love your story from Barry Kirsch to Joan Gallagher. Uh, my friend, Mike DeVelbus, who I run his buzz defense, he recommended you. Uh, you've had a lot of coaches mentor you throughout the years. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you know, I was a baseball player uh, through uh, through high school and into college and um, it was those experiences as a player that made me really want to be able to give back because I was given so much and uh, so many people, you know, kind of helped me out and helped my game grow and, you know, me grow as a person. But, you know, I, like I said, Linus McGinty was the coach at Carroll. He offered me the job to uh, coach with him and then left and went to our arch rival program. Um, and I was heartbroken because I just didn't know I was going to, you know, be able to coach. And I was no, never was I going to go to Cardinal O'Hara. And then um, Barry Kirsch took over. And uh, I didn't think I, I didn't know that I had a, a real strong relationship with him at that moment. And uh, he offered me a job on his staff when he got the that took, took over the job. And, you know, he's he's one of my heroes now. I mean, he's a godfather of one of my children. And and really, you know, I learned a lot about being a man and being a coach from him. And then I got to coach uh, um, in my first year of college coaching. I got to coach uh, with Keith Saplicki, um, and we won a championship. And, you know, so that really was, you know, I got to realize what it was like to win at the Division One level. I got to work for Kathy Rush for five years, you know, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, won uh, three national championships at Tiny Little Immaculata College. And I worked side by side running her basketball camp business and picking her brain and listening to all the great stories. So, you know, it's a lot of a lot of coaches come out of the Philadelphia area. And I think it's because I think coaches from this area really take it to heart to, to pull up other coaches who come behind them. Yeah. Talk about that area, too, as well. Um, I don't think we're I'm out here in Georgia and so forth, and we have. Uh, we have great talent throughout. I'm sure you would try to recruit here out in the, in the Georgia area. I'm no sure. Doubt. No doubt. Um, uh, and actually, I have a player that's actually going to ten Tennessee Chattanooga next year. What do you look like? What do you look for in a recruit? I'm sure it's not all based on talent, Coach. What intangibles do you look for from a kid when you watch them play? Yeah, well, I mean, the intangible standpoint, there's a lot. But, you know, we have a really simple – um, formula with our staff as we're looking at players. The first and foremost thing that I ask, you know, the staff and myself that we look for is, is a real passion. You know, so kid who's got a work ethic, who's looks like basketball is something they love doing because I don't want to micromanage them when they get to college. I don't want to say you have to do this. You have to do that. I want kids who want to do it. 
and make the choice to be great on a daily basis. And so that's the first thing we look for. Um, and the second thing we look for is a high skill set. Um, kids who can pass the ball, kids who can shoot the ball, kids who handle the ball efficiently. Um, you know, I value that over size and speed, which would be next, you know, athleticism. But I think a lot of other coaches, you know, look for that athlete first, that, that kid with great size, that kid with um, great natural abilities. But I look for the kid who's, who, you know, really hone their skill set because um, we play everything system-wise defensively, um, you know, so obviously the better athlete you are, it's, it's great for us. However, we can make up for a lot of, uh, you know, physical flaws with real togetherness. And if you've got kids who are skilled and can put the ball in the basket and can pass the ball to the open player so they can put it in the basket, you got a real good chance to be successful. And, and historically, I found out that that works. And you look for, of course, now during this pandemic time, Coach, I know right now kids, particularly at the high school level, uh, our kids now have to work on their own. Do you really value that in a player? Because I know as a high school coach, I'm going to play the kids that are working on their game on their own without a coach more than I am another player. Do you value the work ethic? And I guess that's part of the passion, right? Going yeah, out, working in an yeah, that, that was number one. But I do want to be really clear. I don't play anybody because they work harder than somebody else. Um, my hardest working kid on the team might not play at all. You need to perform well. <laughs> so I just sure. want to be really clear. Like I, I dole out the playing time based on your ability to create points for our team. OK, whether it be passing it, shooting it, rebounding it and getting it to somebody who can score it and stopping the other team from scoring points. And again, variety of different ways to get that done, but your ability to produce um, causes you uh, to get on the floor because somebody can be really skilled and really athletic and really talented and really maybe not, you know, put in as much extra time as I'm going to push them to do and ask them to do. But an and another kid might work their butt off every single day and give everything they have, but no matter what they do, they can't outperform the other kid. So I, you know, while I ask everyone to, to give me everything they have so that they can be their best, I'm going to play the kids who perform the best. Yeah, that makes not, a lot. Not the most yeah. talented kid. Not the most sure. talented kid. Talent doesn't win any games. You've got right. to perform well. And the kids who perform well are the kids who play. Yeah, and particularly at your level, Coach, at the high D1 and so forth, you got you got to get the job done, right? I mean, that's no, yeah. no doubt about that. Um Talk about your team this year. Give us an overview of LaSalle and, and what, what team you have coming back. Kind of help us out a little bit, Coach. Yeah. What kind of team do you have coming back? So um, we have a team that, that, you know, made a big jump from my first year to second year. First year we only won six games, and we didn't have a, a real high skill set. Um, I had a, kid, a group of young ladies who worked really hard together, loved one another, were really good to the staff. Um, but we just, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of you know, offensive tools. And so we struggled a little bit, but we turned that from six wins the first year to 13, the second year. And the uh, um, most of the production offensively came from freshmen, three freshmen and a sophomore. Um, so the team got really young fast. And then we have five freshmen coming in this year. So we're going to be young again. I think we're going to be pretty talented. And uh, you know, as our leadership develops, um, obviously, you know, when there's a new system being put in place, everybody's brand new. Everybody's a rookie. 
but now, you know, we have some kids who've been there for a couple of years and are starting to understand the system and it's starting to become part of the program mentality. And so I think we'll start to see that reflected in uh, success on the court. But really for, for two years now, I've been blessed with a, a great group of kids who treat each other really well and, and respond to the coaching staff really well. Yeah, it's tough at the college level. I know at the high school level, it's getting tougher even now, Coach, at the high school level where high expectations are started like right away. I think people are losing patience at the high school level trying to win right away. Do you think that's a major problem at the high school level uh, because there's so much pressure like even at the Division One and pro level? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, it's a real challenge for coaches to be process-driven. Like right. If you're focused on the scoreboard, you're, most most of us are going to be unhappy. You need to be, for, for, especially when you're rebuilding and taking over a program, you got to be focused on the process. And you know, uh, Wooden, you know, says it about you know what is success. Success is doing the very best that you can, doing everything you can to be the very best you can be. And so, you know, I really felt over the first two years at LaSalle, we were incredibly successful. Um, the wins and losses were, we were great. I think we played greater than the sum of our parts. And, uh, if we can keep that going as the sum of our parts increases, we're going to be in good shape. Absolutely. What is your program built on? You have key virtues and values that your program is built on. Yeah, I, I, we do. So I, I can answer that question a couple different ways, but we actually just set, spent a, um, uh, a lot of this COVID, uh, time in some leadership training and uh we were challenged to really think about our our uh principles that kind of guide our team and you know and uh you know what what the promised land is for our program and this was really really good conversations within our group and so we kind of defined ourselves like you know our the promised land for this program is that we want to um we want to compete for atlantic 10 championships and win games in the ncaa tournament and do that in a um, an environment that it's lo- that's that's loving and caring and leads to uh, academic and athletic success. So that that's the promised land for us. And then we decided that we had a mission that was going to kind of get us there, and it was to be great on purpose every day. Be great on purpose. And then we came up with six principles that are going to going to keep us on that mission, keep us focused on that mission. And basically, the principles um, are, uh, you know. One being, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's amazing what can be accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. So unselfishness, okay. right? Um, then there is uh, treat others as you want to be treated, right? Kindness. We need to be good to one another. Um, you know, that's a value that we put forth in our program. Grit is the grit, which is uh, passion and perseverance is the number one key to success. So we want to, you want to really strive to to be passionate and to persevere through difficult times. Um, Gratitude is the key to happiness. And with that, comparison is the thief of joy um, is one of our other principles that we want to make sure that we are grateful for the opportunity to uh, play at this level and that we don't want to compare ourselves to our teammates, to other sports, to other programs, because that's only going to lead to to not being as happy as you should be. And uh, um. I don't have them written down in front of me, so let me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I'm off here. I got. I think I got two more. So we have. Uh, uh, oh, uh, to be, you know, to to be where your feet are 
focus and commitment, like to really, sure. in, you know, if you're there, invest in being there and, and, and focus it in the moment. And then uh, I, I think, was that five or six? So let me just take a look here. I think that's close. I, um, yeah. I think that, I think that, I think that's five coach on that. And you can always come back to, I know, I know I, I sorry to put you in that spot no, right there. Remember all. I, I didn't mind um, unselfish kindness, grit. Um, you had, you no know, was passionate. Uh, that was part of the grit yeah, and then yeah. gratitude and then be where your feet are. Yeah. And accountability is the other value. And that, um, the, uh, um, the principle around accountability is to, uh, um, losers make excuses. Winners, winners find a way. Absolutely, and I love that. I appreciate you sharing that with us on that. And I was, I was writing it. I tell you what, I love about that. I'm going to probably steal this from you, Coach. Be great on purpose. I love that. that that's I, I steal a lot of stuff, and I love. And I, as I get older as a coach, um, I'm starting to find out these things are so important to building your program first with principles before you go into the X's and O's. So I appreciate you sharing that. Did your kids um, during the pandemic, did they have that? Is this, was this their principles that they created during, uh, during this time? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, kind of what you just said, I, I kind of look at it a little bit the other way, as opposed to, you know, defining principles and then going uh, into it. Like these principles came out from, what we already valued. So um, I asked the kids to, this came from a book called uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, I asked okay. the kids to name five people they really admire and then list five attributes of those five people that you really admire. And so they basically, you know, you come out with 25 things and there's probably some overlap. Maybe it's only 15 or 10. I said, tell me the five of those things that matter most to you. And so I took all those values that the kids came back with and put them in a list. And, and we really, it became clear that these were the six values that mattered to our kids. And we did this with the staff as well. We were all involved in this process. And so we were just kind of identifying who we already were and what we want to, what we say we want to be. And then we put some principal statements in to help guide us to that. So I would say before we even wrote these things up, these were the things we were already striving toward. We just hadn't formulated it. Absolutely. And don't you think for us high school coaches, those coaches that are going to be listening to this, you're going to get more buy-in when you include, right? <laughs> Inclusion is important, right? When you include everybody in this, in this uh, philosophy training. Yeah. You know, one, one mentor, Bobby Morgan at uh, Haverford College, you know, kind of said this to me early, you know, when I mentioned, you know, a goal, and she said, is that your goal or your player's goal? <laughs> and I said, um, well, <laughs> I guess I, I guess it's my goal. She said, maybe you should find out what your player's goal is. I said, okay. That was a long time ago, and I always have taken that to heart. Like, a team means we're in this together. Obviously, the coach is the leader, but the best teams are going to be player-led anyway, so you need to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if – particularly young coaches these days, it takes them a while to learn that. And particularly to me, I've always coached girls. Um, you have to do this, number one, before you do anything else. Coach, um, talk about the forecast for the season. Do you feel, I know right now it's crazy, nobody knows what's going on 
Do you forecast, forecast a regular season with all the games or maybe, you know, half a season, maybe just conference games? What do you, what do you foresee? You know, they, they say there's people who are uh, glass half full, glass half empty. I'm a glass overflowing kind of guy. So <laughs> I, I foresee a full season. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we do our part in mitigating the spread of this virus. Um, hopefully we get a, a, a vaccine, but, um, I think, uh, you know, these student athletes, uh, in general, they, they want to play this. So whether it, it starts in November as a whole season, or we push the season back and we start in January, you know, I don't know the answers there, but I'm going to say, I, I'm hoping for a whole season and, uh, that's where I am right now. And I'll, and I'll be yeah. there until they tell me otherwise. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think the strength of us coaches now is we have to prepare, like you're having a game tomorrow. That's that. That's me. Yep. And um, we're practicing now here in Georgia. We just can't play any other schools, but we're still practicing like we have a game tomorrow. So uh, I do think you take each day, day by day, right? Exactly. Exactly. You, you be great on purpose. That's our daily mission. I love that. I love that. Um, coach, talk about your defensive philosophy. Um I know it's different at the college level because you're playing against better teams and so forth. Uh, Taka, are you a system coach where you bring in a system or are you based on scatter report type defense? Tell me the difference between college and the high school level. Well, I would say that um, uh, the answer to that is firmly both. Um, okay. Scout our opponent, and I did it at the high school level really, really well. We're going to know their tendencies and weaknesses and sets, and our kids are going to know them. But we're going to defend them within our team principles, within the rules of our defense. And, you know, if you want to – if you're playing LaSalle and you want to know how we defend, go back to the early 80s and take Dick Bennett's pressure man-to-man defensive video and and, and watch that, and that's what we're going to do to you. Um, I, I – uh, discovered that a long time ago and dick bennett has since turned into pack line and uh, (laughs) that's right but but he he really formulated a set of ideas for a half court pressure man-to-man defense and um that's what you know that's what we that is our bread and butter and that's what we do we do it just like um you know detail for detail the way he teaches it um, ball pressure first and foremost. We cut the court in half, pin the ball on the side, deny ball reversals front to post, help in the backside. Um, and uh, everybody's covering each other's butt by playing extremely hard and making the other team put the ball on the floor. Um, so, you know, the idea is that if, if you're dribbling the ball, you're not shooting it and you're not passing it. Um, so, you know, you'll find that's one of the key elements of my program is that I don't, I don't really value the dribble um, as much as other people do. I want you to dribble it. And on offense, I don't want our kids to dribble it unless they're going and scoring it. Um, so we try to catch the ball, shoot the ball, pass the ball. Catch the ball, shoot the ball, pass the ball. When you put it on the floor, you put it in the basket. So um, that's uh, – Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you change up your defenses? Because I, I, I have spoken to other – um, NEIA small division two type colleges. And it seems like they're changing up all the time. Do you believe in the change up theory or you're going to play one defense? Great. Yeah. So I would say we believe in playing one defense. Great, but I'm not a mule. 
right? I, I, my go, my game plan is to find a way to win. So, you know, we're pressure man to man team and we have our curveball, which is the buzz, Kevin, which, you know, I know this has kind of led to this conversation. All right. Um, I mean, but, <laughs> um, and I grew up, like I said, watching John Chaney and, and John Chaney was the master of zone defenses. And, and, uh, um, he had his Rover one three one defense that I still don't know all the rules to it, or I would probably try to run that too. But we're going to guard you man to man unless you prove that we can't do it. Yeah, and and that is on you as my opponent to prove that we can't pressure you and force you into turnovers. Um, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes you play somebody that you can't do what you're wanting to do. Their game plan against you is better than your game plan against them, and you got to be prepared to change. We were down 22 against Penn State in the fourth quarter this past year, and um, we decided to go to a, a, a standard 2-3 zone that we probably had practiced for 10, maybe 15 practice minutes, and we come back and win the game because sometimes it's not about your defense. It's about their offense, and right. they weren't really prepared to put – they weren't good against the 2-3 zone, and that led to our success. Obviously, we made a ton of shots, right? You don't come back from being down that much without the ball going in. But, um, yeah, so we will change as need be. And uh, But for us, when you play us, you're going to get really hard pressure, man-to-man, half-court defense, and then we're going to turn it up a notch, and we're going to go to the buzz. So that, that we, don't, we don't have a, a backup plan where we're turning it down uh, most of the time. Yeah, please talk about the Bucs. I really wanted you to get into that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I got really excited there for a second. Um, we run at the high school level. Um, we, we go 2-2-1 back to our buzz. So we're constantly pressing you and forcing you to make. Now, at our level, we can do that because we're a small school. We got good players. Um, talk about your buzz and, and the philosophy behind it and how you guys run it. Yeah, so um... – uh, let me first start with the, uh, you know, you, the fact you go two, two, one into the buzz. I high school, I pressed the entire game. Um, <laughs> That's Rick right. Was all run and jump, man to man. Hi, this is Kirk Gilsdorf of Clackamas Community College Women's Basketball, formerly Oregon City High School Girls Basketball. And as a veteran coach, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things to listen to, somewhere I can improve my coaching. And I've discovered the Championship Vision podcast from Kevin Furtado, and it has become my number one go-to podcast each and every week. Kevin brings in guests that provide a unique perspective, whether it's on X's and O's, philosophy, drill work, whatever it might be. Uh, he's going to get something out there that's going to help me as a coach get better. And I think that's what we should all be doing as coaches is helping each other get better. Uh, Kevin himself is, is always hungry to learn. You can sense that in his podcast. And so, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. Championship Vision Podcast, Kevin Furtado, keep up the great work. Uh, it was a 2-2-1 uh, matchup zone press. So you'd be a 1-2-2 a one, a one, two, two when the ball was on the wing, a 2-2-1 two, two, when the ball was in the middle but it basically was like man to man. And uh, we, we tweaked that and made it just man to man. We had a lot of different calls for if we were trapping the first pass and doing all these different things. And we were better than a lot of teams. So we could press them the whole game and it was going to turn out in our favor. But since I got to college coaching college, I've always been at a mid major program and um, we could press in conference a lot. And, you know, obviously we're not there yet in Atlantic 10, but I hope at some point we're, toward the top of the Atlanta 10 and we can press a lot of the teams in our conference then too. But normally you're not going to get and play the high major teams 
and be able to play the game the length of the court and be really successful just because of foot speed. Um, but I have found that you can still pressure those same teams in the half court really well. So we don't press as much. Um, but the buzz, really teams that go straight line drive on us because of our man-to-man pressure and that you know we just have a little trouble containing, the buzz all of a sudden, even though it's even more pressure, it gives those teams that defeat our man-to-man a lot of trouble because now they're thinking instead of driving. Right. And, um, and we're coming after them while they're trying to think and not allowing them to think. And then when they drive, they drive into somebody who's waiting for them every time. Um, the buzz has been really effective. So I'd probably say it's a 80-20. We're man-to-man 80% of the time, buzz 20. And um, we like the buzz has really helped us, especially side court out-of-bounds plays. Um, you know, teams since th- we've been allowed to advance the ball in the women's college game have come up with a lot of really good side court out of bounds action. And all of a sudden they're seeing the buzz. It doesn't, it doesn't work as well. So that's been a nice, uh, change up for us. there, using the buzz in those moments. Um, we, we use the buzz all late game situations when we have the lead and the other team is just trying to go end to end and lay it in and call timeout we're buzzing because it makes them slow down and think about what they're trying to do. Um, the only time we're not in the buzz late is if it's a three-point game and we're just trying not to give up a perimeter shot and we want to match up and be man-to-man. So that those are the ways that we've been using it. Um, you know, I don't know, did you – have you uh, worked with Mike on the buzz in person or did you uh, watch the video and steal it from there? Well, I had Mike on. Um, I – I've actually studied a lot of the buzz coaches, even at the high school level. Um, and uh, Mike's been gracious, man, just, just calling me up. Uh, I've had him on a podcast. We've done Zoom meetings and so forth. No, I, I want to meet Mike. I actually want Mike to come out here and help my team out and so forth. Um, but uh, he's always mentioned he's been a, just, a, just a great person, taking up his time now, helping me out. But uh, I noticed at the Division One level, this is what Mike has said, it's harder because the athletes are taller, longer. They can make those passes where at my level, girls have struggled with making those passes over the wall, over to the defenders. What yeah. do you see? No, no, there's no doubt. So I, you know, I have uh, eight kids in this house, so I got a lot of kids um, coming up through the, <laughs> through the basketball sure. pipeline. And so I've yeah. had a bunch of the grade school coaches that my, my uh, sons and daughters have um, played for. I've taught them the buzz. <laughs> Because it's almost impossible for the younger ages to play against. So as soon as you teach your kids to play passing lanes and read eyes and trap the ball at the half court line, uh, teams are in trouble <laughs> because it's tough for them to make those passes. But at the college level, I mean, the point guard can easily throw the ball from the, the mid court line to somebody standing under the hoop for a layup. So you can't mm-hmm. get caught napping. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mike said it best, and this is what I, I loved about it. He said, you're either going to give a beating or you're going to get a beating. He said, he said you got to be prepared. If you're going to play the buzz, if you don't commit to it and you don't fly around, you're going to get a beating. So, right. um, you know, there's no middle ground with it, and I think the, that's why the kids love it. They just know that I got to – there's no choice but to go as hard as I can. It's either that or give up a layup or a three. Like, But if I go as hard as I can, I'm going to get a steal and a layup. So uh, they know that there's no middle ground. There's no saving themselves. They got to they gotta fly around and go all out. But I, the reason I asked that question is because I 
talked to Mike a lot on the road when he was at Green Bay. I'd see him pick his brain. He shared the buzz with me. I was excited about it. Watch his team play. It was like, man, it's really good. Got his video, implemented it at Quinnipiac, and um, it didn't look anything like his team. But it looked just like he was teaching on the video. And so I, yeah. you know, I figured I was doing it right. It was all good. And then Mike uh, came out and observed two days of practice and then coached our coaches in the locker room after practice at Quinnipiac. And lo and behold, we, <laughs> we weren't doing it the way he was teaching it in real life. So um, we learned that, you're, you know, you're supposed to trap much more frequently and much harder. And, uh, you know, that really changed it. And the buzz really took off at Quinnipiac and was really an effective weapon in helping them get to the Sweet 16 um, and uh, helping them, you know, we beat Miami again in a, in a first round game to play UConn and we played UConn well and the buzz was all part of that. So, um, and now we're using it with Sal and it's, you know, anytime we can't guard somebody in man to man, the buzz has been there to pick us up. What do you find? It's interesting, Mike. He said the same thing to me, coach. <laughs> I thought I showed him a video. I says, man, he's going to really praise me on this video. He says, Coach, no, you got to fly around more, man. You guys are, you got to trap more. So I'm, it sounds like the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I love that when you get honest feedback, right, from coaches. Um, but yeah, talk about um, your weakness of it because my weakness is a great, if they put two great corner shooters, um, and my big man is, is tall, 6'1, she might not be able to get out to the corner. Is that one of your weaknesses? Um, I don't know if I could specifically say it like that. I would say that, um, my, the weakness in it is probably just lies within me as a coach, uh, two ways, not investing quite enough time on a regular basis doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and we got better this year toward the end of the year, but then also my willingness to mix it in when I don't need to mix it in, right? No need to go to the buzz when your man-to-man is working. And I wanted to mix it in just so we kept getting reps at it. Inevitably, you know, if you're playing the kind of team that my man-to-man is really successful with, the buzz is, it's like throwing a kid who can't hit your fastball, throwing them a changeup. Like, don't do that. Just keep throwing the fastball. But I throw the changeup and bang, they knock down a three, shoot a layup, and then the assistants want to kill me. Um, So, you know, that... (laughs) I think the biggest weakness of the buzz is just playing it at the wrong time. Um, you know, it's something for us that we use when we need it. And I tend to use it just to use it to, to keep it fresh, but it, it never works right. well when I do it that way. It works well when I use it because we need it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it, why don't more college teams use it? Is it, it? is it because it's kind of a gamble and so forth? You better have – five quick is is it more high risk um because i know at the high school level we use it all the time um but we can do that based on players why don't you see more division one teams use it well i do think you know listening to mike teach it and he tells he tells you that um if you've got to do this you've got to let the players go make the plays and I know that, you know, sometimes control is something that, you know, coaches don't want to give up. So I tell my kids when we put in the buzz, there's no mistakes. Here's your home bases on the three different spots. And the only thing you can do wrong in this defense is not play as hard as you can and not try to make a play. So 
now, you know, I got to live when the kid goes for an interception and gives up a wide open shot because she didn't get the ball. Like, I promised them I'm going to let them go make the plays. Now I got to keep my mouth closed and let them do it. Um, and so I don't know that that fits everybody's coaching style. You know, people don't, some coaches don't want to seize that, that control to let the players do it the way they want. Um, you know, my man to man defense is really rules based. And, you know, you don't follow the rules, you know, you're going to hear about it. The buzz, like, I, I just, I'm like, buzz, here we go. Let's see what we got tonight. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I love that, coach. And I, I know it's harder at your level because every possession's important. Um, so I know it's not an easy, uh, easy to do that. Coach, let's 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 kind of ch- make a change up here and go to your offensive philosophy because I know you're busy. I know you have other things. You got you, you're out there recruiting and doing all sorts of stuff now. But um, offensive philosophy, you mentioned that you focus more on the pass and cut, finishing instead of o- overusing the dribble drive, things like that. Talk about how you attack on offense. Yeah, I will. Give me one second on that though, because I just want to go back because you've said a couple times now, like you know, at our level, you know, being different. And I, I got to be honest with you, as long as I've coached basketball through high school and AAU and honestly fifth and sixth grade kids, like it's all the same. Like you're putting a group of kids together. You're trying to teach them life lessons to get them to be the best they can be. And you're trying to beat your opponent. And like the, the possessions in my game are no more important than the possessions in your game. Obviously, <laughs> obviously True. you know, it's my livelihood solely. Whereas when I was coaching in high school, I had another job as well as coaching, but like, it still matters. Like the kids were just as heartbroken when we lost in high school as they are in college. And I was just as mad. So, you know, it really, there's not much of a difference. I don't think in, in, in the way you're doing it. Um, at the high school level, I'm sure your practices are really intense and, and exactly the same as what we're trying to do. But anyway, offensively and really defensively, it's kind of my offensive defensive philosophies kind of mirror one another. Um, on offense, we want to shoot the ball before we turn it over. And on defense, we want to turn them over before they shoot it. And that's the philosophy in a nutshell. You want to boil it right sure. down. So I think you can get an open shot um, – in transition much more uh, easily than you can in the half court. And, you know, a lot of coaches I've heard say, you know, why would you take that shot? You know, you can get that shot at any time. And I say, why would you pass up that shot now when you're just going to take it later? So I want to, if you're open to me, it's a good shot. And it doesn't matter if it's on the first pass within the first three seconds Um, or if it's on the, you know, at the end of the shot clock, if you are open, shoot the ball. And so that's what we, we work to, to push our pace and our tempo, um, such that we get open shots. Now, obviously sometimes that leads to an occasional bad one where you're jacking up a bad look and the kid was actually there and you shouldn't have shot it, but I can live with that. I can't live with someone getting the ball and being open and not shooting it. Um, so that's the, the, offensive philosophy in a nutshell we share the ball move the ball to the open shooter shoot the basketball and that when i say shooter it doesn't necessarily mean a jump shot that's a layup that's a off a cut that's a wide open three whatever it is and uh you get a bunch of kids who are unselfish or are willing to share the ball and who are unselfish enough to shoot the ball when they're open even if they've missed a couple shots um it becomes a, a system that's really fun to play in uh, the kids are not thinking, should I, shouldn't I? Because the answer is always yes, you should. And um, 
it gives them the freedom to just go and, and make plays. And so uh, we want to shoot it before we turn it over and turn them over before they shoot it. And then if we miss it, we want to go get an extra shot. And likewise, when they miss it, we can't let them get extra shots. And so um, we're trying to win games by getting more attempts and more possessions than our opponent. Yeah, and I, I, that's what I want you to continually share because that's what we do. Uh, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that is it's so right, particularly, you know, I think, and I keep saying that at our level, but at the girls' level, turnovers, passing, and catching is a major problem. Yeah. So we figure like, hey, we're going to get a quick shot, depending on the time and score, before they throw it against the wall. So you're exactly right. So how do you do that? Do you run specific actions or are all five players capable of knocking down shots? Oh, yeah. So and as I told you, right, first, uh, you know, one of the big things we're looking for is that skill set, right? I try not to recruit anybody who can't shoot the ball. Um, I really am reluctant to put you on the court if you can't make an open three. Um, that doesn't mean it's always the case. Sometimes you do something so well that I'm willing to overlook that. But um, as a general rule, I want to put five kids on the court that you have to guard on the perimeter, um, which makes driving lanes and posting up and cutting um, much easier when everybody can shoot the ball. We, yeah, run, sure. we run Paul Westhead's transition system. Okay. So, um, you know, I was, I grew up as a Westhead fan. Barry Kirsch was a Westhead uh, disciple. Um, we both uh, really wanted to push the tempo and run, and so we did it after him. Now, I mix, you know, Paul Westhead and Dick Bennett, right? Dick Bennett says you can't play great defense and run. <laughs> and Paul Westhead says you can't run and play great defense. And I, <laughs> I, right. I disagree. And, you know, I try to play great pressure half-court man-to-man defense and try to get out and run on every single possession. So – we're not going to lead the country in possessions like, like you know, Sacramento State's going to do with Bunky Harkinload, um, like St. Francis used to do with Joe Haig. Like, we're not going to be able – because our, our defensive um, philosophy isn't going to stretch the court and isn't going to make the other team necessarily shoot the ball quickly. However, um, our offensive possessions are going to be really fast, and I think we led the um, uh, Atlantic 10 in pace – uh, pace per play so we are going fast but we're just not matching it on the defensive end is we're not making our opponent necessarily play fast we're defending the perimeter really hard we're making them forward but if they want to play slower you know we're just going to pressure the mess out of them and try to turn them over um and then the uh the other thing was that the, the John Chaney piece, you know, I mentioned how, you know, I, I grew up watching his practices through my college years, 5 a.m., get in there and watch him. And I don't play zone like him, and I don't hold the ball and shoot the ball at the end of the shot clock like him. So what did I learn? Well, I learned don't throw the ball to the other team. <laughs> don't turn it over. And so Chaney believed, like, you play really slow, be really cautious with your possessions, and, you know, you, you might have to take a tough shot at the end, but you're not going to turn it over. Mm-hmm. I kind of just turned that on its head and said, we're going to play really fast and we're just going to shoot it before we mess it up. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the philosophy that I've adopted. Yeah, I love that philosophy. It's funny you mentioned John Chaney because um, when I was growing up and coaching, 
I used to study, try to study his defense. I still don't understand his <laughs> defensive system. I mean, it was it was different, but he, that's what he believed in and so forth, that great matchup zone. But you're right, though. He was all about taking care of the ball. Um, but I've, you know, I've seen so many times, Coach, where I used to be a flex coach, where we would run one minute off the clock and then end up taking a bad shot. Who does that benefit? <laughs> I don't know. Well, let me tell you, I used to hate playing against you because I couldn't stand playing against flex teams because they just bored me to death. Right. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I remember when I came back from coaching in college, I was coaching an AAU team, and I was coaching uh, a team called Comets. And I go down to play the Fairfax Stars in Virginia, and the, the other coach says, oh, here we go, ready for the Philly flex. And I was like, no, not, not this team. <laughs> and uh, I think we scored 85 that day. So, you know, we, <laughs> he, he, he got to see that not, not everybody's doing the same thing in Philly. But Absolutely. Um, what was a famous coach from LaSalle who ran the flex? He, I know you know it. I'm trying to think of his name. Um, I mean, well, he, Speedy Morris was probably Speedy our Moore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I think he was a flex guy, wasn't he? Um. I honestly can't say. I know he, he coached some fantastic players and he was a great coach, but I don't know that flex was his thing or not. I can't honestly. Say. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. He it's funny. Great Lionel Simmons. Yeah. He did. Yeah. He has some great teams. LaSalle's got a great tradition and so forth. And also that Philadelphia area has got a great basketball tradition. Um, talk about your practice. Uh, Cause I want to know what does, is there any difference? I know, like you mentioned before, there's really no difference in practice planning, but you focus a lot on player development at the division one level, or is it more actions and schemes? I'll tell you this. I feel like the years, you know, my college coaching years, the years where I feel like we failed and didn't do our best job coaching were years where we didn't put enough emphasis on player development. I, I go back to what Barry Kirsch taught me a long time ago is that the fastest way to have a better team is to make your players better. And um, so we try to put a, a decent amount of time in player development and in our practice planning preseason in season. And, you know, sometimes it, it takes the, you know, the staff to remind me as we're spending a lot of time focusing on our game plan and our opponent that we still gotta we still gotta make sure we pass the ball well. We still gotta make sure we finish our layups and make our shots. So, um, you know, player development is essential. And you know, I'm really fortunate. I got some really good coaches with me who, uh, you know, develop players. And you know, I come from a, you know, I made a lot of you know money on the side when I was coaching in high school doing individual workouts with you know kids from every different school and program. Uh, you know, it was one of my things. So player development has always been a really important part. And uh, you just can't – you can't rely on the players you recruited, uh, you know, and and that be that. I and mean, if you can't develop them, then, you know, you're not going to be very successful. Yes, and how much is, you, is your practice time – kind of give us a sample. How much of your practice time is devoted to uh, player development? Because uh, my belief is you, you, you actually – I do more player development later in the year and more team development early in the year. I know that's kind of opposite of what a lot of people do, but that's what I believe in because you can sharpen the saw more 
with your player development later in the year when the players really need it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. I, I, I like to think that we're emphasizing player development. And- Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. Skill development, even within our team preparation stuff. So when we're working on you know a set that we just put in, we're also working on our ball handling coming off a ball screen. We're also working on our seal in the post, you know. So hopefully if we're doing our job as coaches, we are teaching skill development in every moment of practice. Um, We don't spend a lot of time on uh, conditioning for conditioning's sake. We try to go up and down during practice. We try to do skill work with the ball in our hands that conditions us. Um, So there's a segment of a lot of practice plans that we cut out. Like we can gas our kids by playing basketball and developing our skills as opposed to by running sprints or, or sidelines or, you know, down and backs, whatever the case may be. So we try to make sure we're doing our skill development, our conditioning within our skill development. And then everything we do is competitive. So, you know, skill development, our shooting drills, there's a time and a score and you're competing against the whole group. Our um, ball handling, you know, Sometimes you're doing it in a fun relay race. Sometimes you're doing it in a one-on-one and you've got to, you know, be efficient. You only get three dribbles uh, to go finish or you're getting around a chair and you, you know, you can only change directions once, you know, you got to make it effective. You still do different things to work on the skill development while you're practicing as a whole team. Yeah, that's a great point coach, because I think practicing, I think it's a daily art. I, I, I struggle with it. And I love practicing, but it seems to me like each day I'm trying to manipulate and kind of figure out what's going to make my team tick. And I I change a lot. So I might be doing certain drills one day and the next day I'll change it up just based on what I saw that previous day. Do you make a lot of changes in your practices from day to day? Yeah. I mean, we we have some bread and butter drills that we love, um, but one, you got to fight boredom, right? You're practicing six days a week. Um, you know, you've got to make sure you're not doing the same things over and over again. And then you've got to emphasize a bunch of different skills. So, you know, we have rebounding drills that will break out when we notice that that's struggling and more shooting drills that will break out when, you know, we need to put a special emphasis there, more one-on-one drills when it's our, you know, our, you know, offensive uh, breakdown stuff we need work on. So, you know, there's, we're going to always be tweaking and we're going to meet together as a staff. And this is where the advantage is at the college levels that, you know, we have a full staff as opposed to maybe a coach and one assistant and maybe three people who come every now and then, like we get to meet every day and go over the details and rewatch the practice plan and just a little bit more time to put in. So that's the advantage at this level is that we can um, just invest more in, in, and evaluate what we're doing maybe a little bit better than I evaluated what we were doing in high school um, and how successful today's plan was and what can we scrap and what do we need, need to move forward with. So um, 
I will share one thing. So we, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in just per- professional development in this COVID time, um, jumping on some calls and figuring out how to make practice more efficient. Yeah, am, yes, sir. As you can tell from this podcast, I'm a talker, right? So I, I love it. I love and, it. And practice <laughs> a lot of times ends up with me explaining, 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 and the kids listening. And one of, uh, you know, another college coach to share with me, they actually timed it. And, you know, I don't know what it was, but they said there was probably like 25 minutes out of a two hour practice where that mm. nobody was doing anything but listening to the coach. And that person also pointed out, and I don't talk half as much as you do. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I was kind of horrified at that idea. And that might explain why at some points in the season, we're not as well conditioned as we want to be. Um, so we're going to do something different this year. It'll be the first time I've tried this, but I'm going to assign my players in groups of five to the three assistant coaches who, so when we're, let's say we're doing a, a, a defensive drill where we're working on pinning the ball on the side, um, forcing baseline and rotating over. So there'll be, you know, maybe it's four on four, but the groups are still in groups of five. So four of them are on the court playing another four and their subs are sitting. And one coach has his group that's not on the court yet. So we do it and they, you know, they don't close out right. They don't have their top foot up there. So instead of stopping and me showing everybody, when that group is off, the coach has already heard me point out, Hey, you know, no top foot. She'll take the group on the side and then demonstrate exactly what I would have demonstrated for the whole group. She'll demonstrate it for her group. And then the next group comes on and they're working and then there's mistakes made there. And it won't just be my voice. All the coaches who are watching will point out things they see happen and go wrong for every group. But when your group's off, you'll have them on the side and be able to explain to them, um, you know, what they did wrong and, and what we need to fix here. Instead of me stopping everybody or coach day or coach boo stopping the whole group and explaining something and everybody's now listening to that so we're going to see how that goes i think it has a chance to be effective and maybe it'll be a flop we'll figure it out but that's my that's my plan going forward we're going to have our every day practice will be split into three three teams with an assistant coach responsible for each team yeah no wasted time and i love that coach because um specificity of correction right i mean you're and you you never want to stop a team to focus on an individual i love that um and reminders you're about giving it the players should be coaching themselves and i love how you have a coach for each team i love that i wish i had three coaches though but yeah <laughs> but you're saying that i can have a player run each team sure sure uh that's a great idea i love that Coach, what about um, – give me a couple drills that LaSalle does that you do every single day that we can steal from you. Mm, mm. All right. So one of my favorite drills uh, is – it's a loose ball drill. Uh, we put – and I wouldn't say we do this every day, but we do this a fair amount. This is something we're going to do in the preseason a ton. Um, so a coach will have the ball just off the corner, so directly between the corner and the and the – um, basket underneath on the baseline. Coach will actually have two balls in their hand and there'll be a line on either side of them. And the lines will be um, two different teams matched up with 
a matchup that makes sense for them. So guards against guards, post players against post players, fastest kids against fastest kids, okay? I'm going to take the ball, and I'm going to roll it out, throw it out, kick it, punt it, just put it out there somewhere, and it does not have to be fair. And the players are going to go and pursue the ball, and this is what they have to do. Grab the ball with both hands. If they slap the ball in any way, shape, or form, try to tip it to themselves as opposed to try to grab it. Whistle blows. The person who tipped it or smacked it is on the line, runs a sprint. They both go to the back of the line. Okay. Um, when they do grab it, they must face the basket that's that we're underneath, right? We're on the baseline. So they're going to face the basket, and they're going to play one-on-one. Okay. So whoever grabs it, pivots, faces the hoop, and goes to the basket. Should they dribble it before they face the basket, the whistle blows, they go run a sprint. Okay? So this is one of the values here of taking care of the basketball. We're going to go grab it with both hands. We're going to face our basket, and then we're going to go make a play. We're not going to take two dribbles to turn around. We're not going to smack it to the floor and dribble the wrong direction. We're going to not tip it instead of grabbing it. And then should that loose ball lead to diving on the floor um, after the ball, there's always a coach waiting, uh, I would say not mid-court line, but like, you know, the coach's box, waiting for them to throw them the ball and they'll throw it right back to them, right? So if you secure the loose ball by diving on it, you just throw it to the coach without traveling, the coach will throw it right back to you, and then they play one-on-one. And so you go forward and and the score is kept by just – Scoring baskets or not. So one point for every bucket scored, um, and your team gets a point. Once you go through, everyone goes through the line, we switch who's on the inside and who's on the outside, and we do it again. But a couple key elements. The coach with the basketballs is not um, giving the two players who are next in line any indication they're about to throw it. It's not like, ready, all right, here we go. As soon as I feel like the ball's in the basket and they're going to be cleared, I'm rolling it in, throwing it in, kicking it, bouncing it. And it's up to them to pay attention to me and the ball and not pay attention to the two players who are playing. Um, So they always have to be ready to explode and go get it. And that's my loose ball drill. And so we like to do that a lot. It creates toughness. It gets them uh, grabbing the ball with two hands, which is something you're going to hear me say all practice long. And, uh, it leads to, you know, you've seen it. We've all seen it. Breakaway, right? Long pass yeah. gets thrown to your player on the break. There's somebody, defenders trailing. She's not going to catch up. And that player guides the ball down to the floor, hits off their foot, goes out of bounds, no layup. I don't ever want that to happen on my watch. So my kid is going to catch that long pass and then dribble it away from their feet and lay the ball in if they have to. They're not going to slap that ball to the floor. I love that. And I got a new drill to add to my practice, LaSalle drill, Coach. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Uh, I, I love that. And it, it's it's what you emphasize, right, that's important. Yes. Um, the loose ball recoveries, you're right, though, Coach. I mean, we don't work on it enough because it happens way too much. That's a great, that's a great drill. Um, what about rebounding? How do you emphasize? Because I know that I want to be a great rebounding team. You have to emphasize and work on that all the time, don't you? Yeah, if you looked at our numbers, you'd say I did a bad job of that. Um, but uh, so I, I am a believer in uh, pursuing the ball with violence. You like I want our kids to go after that thing aggressively every single time. I am not a huge uh, box out guy. Like, don't get me wrong, 
I ask my kids to hit it and go get it, hit it and go get it. But the, a lot of people, the, even the people we play against, do an amazing job of teaching, you know, box out and hold and then go get the basketball. And um, I guess it's just bothered me over the years that kids being busy boxing out while someone else runs in and grabs the ball has driven me crazy that I've gotten away from making the box out the most important part. To me, the most important part is the pursuit of the basketball. So things we emphasize are stay away from the rim. So kids go running in and run under the basket all the time. Ball bounces over their heads. So we tell our kids, you need to get like four to six feet from the bucket, establish the best position you can, watch the ball while it's in the air, don't stare at the basket, and then anticipate where it's going to bounce and go get it. But, uh, you know, so one big problem that we, you know, are constantly harping at our kids is to stop running under the basket. Stop running under the basket because it's natural. You're on the perimeter. You want to go pursue the ball, and then you just overrun everything. And then having your hands up. Kids run in with their hands down. Um, my favorite, my, you know, my least favorite slash favorite moment of the year is when kid runs in with their hands down, hits off the rim, and boom, gets them right in the forehead because now mm -hmm. we have a teachable moment that nobody on the team wants that to happen to them ever. And now maybe they'll remember to keep their hands up. So um, those are our points of emphasis. Hit, go get it, stay away from getting underneath the basket. When in doubt, you push someone else under the basket, not yourself. And uh, go get the ball with aggression. Yeah, I love that. Now, it's a simple concept. Stay away from the rim, but it happens all the time, all the time. particularly at the lower levels, Coach, I'm sure you've seen. Um, that's a great point. Now, do you have – we have a two-on-two -two drill we do every day called the blue and white drill. Um, you have one drill that really emphasizes tough rebounding, or is this just something you emphasize all the time? Huh. Um we do emphasize it all the time, but we do have some drills that we love. Um, you know, the worst one, I'll say, this is the one that I've never met a player that has appreciated this drill. But as from a coaching standpoint, you find out who your tough kids are and who's going to not quit on you when it really matters. And you just have a kid at the foul line facing the basket, a kid at the foul line facing that player. So offense, defense and the coach is just off the elbow. The coach is going to shoot the ball, and the, the defensive player's got to hit and go get, keep them from getting it. And there's really not a lot of uh, – whist there's no whistle out there. you know. So there's there might be some offensive fouls pursuing the ball. There might be some extra pushing trying to keep them from getting the ball. But you have to get three rebounds successfully and outlet them back to the coach – in order to get off the court. And um, I, we didn't talk about this, but one of my uh, other things that's, I would say, controversial about the way I coach is that I often play players five in, five out in groups of five. Um, okay. And the, the rationale behind it is this, that if you take your best player on your team and you have them run up and down the court for four minutes, three and a half minutes, as hard as they can. And then you have them play one-on-one -on -one against your sixth best player. What's that score going to look like? That sixth best player hasn't been going up and down. They're just playing fresh. Check the ball. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably going to be much more competitive than you would think, right? There's a disparity of talent, but one is tired and the other is fresh. 
And this rebounding drill shows this in, in real living color because on the first shot, right, the kid hits, goes, gets, rips the board, and there's it's no contest. And on the second one, it's a little bit more of a contest. And on the third one, it's a real dogfight. But if they don't get the rebound on that third one, they it's really torture to try to get off the court after that because every player they're coming up against is going for the first time after resting. And, sure. and the player trying to rebound is fighting and doing everything they can three plays in a row, now four plays in a row. And after five or six, they are literally wiped out. And we're not even running. We're not going up and down the floor. We're right here at the, at the basket just rebounding. Oh, I forgot to add a key element to this. So if the offense gets the rebound and lays it in, they get to pursue the ball out of the net and, and score it again. So the defense must, even though it won't count as a rebound, they must get the ball and finish off every play, whether they won or lost the play or not. So they don't get to like give up the board and then turn around and get a fresh start on the next person. They got to then go get the ball out of the net before the offensive player gets it out of the net and scores on them again. So there's no rest in this drill. And it really, you find out who's going to fight for you and who's going to be tough. And the whole team does, because they're all witnessing this, right? Everyone's standing in a line. This is not a, an action drill where a lot of kids are participating. It's one at a time. Who's going to woman up and, and go get the ball. <laughs> yeah. I love that coach. And I think, I mean, do we teach toughness enough in our practices? Because I, I sense that and I want to know what you guys do at your level, because as you get later into the season, you're trying to prevent injury. It's almost like load management, right? So are you doing less toughness drills at, you know, you get close to tournament time? Never. <laughs> okay, doing, all right. <laughs> we're doing less practice, okay? Okay. Less practice. So, yes, does that ultimately mean less toughness drills? Yes. But we are never – like, we are going to do toughness drills nonstop. Um, it's part of our identity. It's part of what it – you know, how we're going to win games. You've got to compete if you're going to be a successful team. And so we're going to do it, you know, from beginning to end. Um I don't want our players to ever get hurt, but I can't bubble wrap them. And honestly, they don't want to be bubble wrapped. They want to compete too. And um, yeah, so we're not trying to save them for the game because the, uh, you know, it's another Barry Kirsch line, but you, you, you can't turn the faucet on and off because you're going to try to turn it on one day and it ain't going to come on. <laughs> you're being, you got to be consistent, but for short periods of time though, exactly. you just lessen so, it. I, I love that. Yeah. We'll start in the beginning of the year and our practices might be two hours, two fifteen, but you know, by the end of the year, we're an hour and a half hour 15 because you can't compete at the level I'm asking them to compete, to play that pace up and down, to guard each other really hard pressure defense and to be really physical pursuing loose balls and rebounds. I mean, you just can't do that late in the season and expect to have a productive practice for more than an hour and a half. Yeah, I agree. And that's great advice for us coaches. I appreciate you sharing with us coach before you go, can your Philadelphia 76ers win the championship this year? Because I, I'm, I'm actually, a, I'm pulling for the Sixers because I know they got so much talent. What do you think? Can they, can they get over the hump? Yes, I think they can. Um, and I'm not judging anybody on the team. It, it, you'll find out who worked and who didn't work. This is for everybody, <laughs> right? Like, 
right. going to find out this whole league who was committed to getting better on their own and who was chilling. So if if we have our players were out there getting better, they're going to be pretty good. <laughs> and and in it, you know, Brett Brown's been saying all along like that this team is built for the playoffs and uh, well, basically all we got is the playoffs. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. And good news coaches at the, uh, so far they tested everybody and everybody tested negative. And that's, that's, that's very unusual uh, so far. So uh, I've never been so excited about pro sports ever before. <laughs> and um, I'm, I know you, I know you're fired up yeah, to kind of get everything Friday. I can't wait. Oh, man, it's going to be exciting. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're a busy guy. You're trying to get things ready. I appreciate you taking the time out to join us here on the podcast. Uh, what's the best way to reach you? Um, you can get me. Uh, my email is real simple, mountain at LaSalle.edu. Um, anybody out there wants to talk hoops, hit me up there. I'll give you my cell phone, mountain at LaSalle.edu. That's great, Coach, and I'll have everything on uh, the podcast so everybody uh, they can all contact you. Thanks again for sharing, man. I appreciate you uh, making the game better and stepping up and helping us high school coaches out with the uh, all this knowledge. Thank you so much, Kevin. It is an absolute pleasure talking hoops, and you want to talk to me off the podcast anytime. I'd love to catch up. And all right, you, but, you feel free to send some players my way. Absolutely, I will, <laughs> Coach. Thank you so much. I appreciate all right. it. See you all right, bye now. Hey, coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram.